Truth Revolution. Hey, welcome to Truth Revolution. I'm Pastor Jeff. Welcome. We're glad you're here today. We're talking about artificial intelligence. We've got an astrophysicist guest with us today who's going to be talking about that. Uh, I, I went to chat GPT and said, hey, write me an introduction for a show talking about artificial intelligence that's interesting. This is what artificial intelligence says our show is going to be today. Today we're stepping into the future, or should we say the future is stepping into us. We're diving deep into the world of artificial intelligence, that mystifying, exhilarating, and let's face it, slightly intimidating sphere of modern technology. And we'll tackle this not with the dry drudgery of a manual, but with the vibrant vigor of voices and joyful debate. We'll look at the intersection of faith and silicone, asking ourselves as Christians, how should we use AI? And don't worry, we've got humor to spare for our binary brainchild. Buckle up, folks because we're about to boot up a conversation that'll have your neurons firing faster than a supercomputer crunching numbers. So this is a great introduction written by AI itself. Uh, you know, we, we've got a special guest, I said. He's from Reasons to Believe. This is Dr. Jeff Zwierink. He's earned a PhD in astrophysics from Iowa State University. His writing and speaking encourage people to consider the connection between Scripture's truth and scriptural evidence. He's been on the show multiple times before. He's the author of Escaping the Beginning. Is there life out there? So good. Who's Afraid of the Multiverse? That's an amazing little book. Um, the co-author of Building Bridges and the Impact Event Student Devotional Series. He's also a project scientist at UCLA. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the show. Glad you're here. Hi, Jeff. Really uh, looking forward to our conversation today. It's been a long time since we've talked, and uh, I think this is just a fascinating topic. Yeah, this is a great one to come back on. Uh, what do you think of, because you hear the introduction that ChatGPT wrote? It was kind of muffled on my end, okay. but I, I know it's actually very adept at doing stuff like that. I had, I had another interview I was doing, so had ChatGPT write an ode to Jeff Zwerink as an astrophysicist. <laughs> stuff. I think mean, that's kind of cool. I got a yeah. poem written about me and read on air. So. Oh, man. <laughs> I've, I've done stuff like I've, ha I've uploaded my sermons and saying, analyze this author. Is he a genuine, like, is he a theologically orthodox Christian? And like, I had to analyze what style does he write with? And I just, I uploaded sermons from someone who I consider a false teacher. And it was, it actually said, this person does not hold the traditional teachings. And I was like, wow, good job, chat GPT. <laughs> like, it was fascinating. Uh, but, you know, we're talking not, uh, not just about the entertainment aspect. We want to talk about the theological and moral implications of all of this stuff. Uh, being a scientist, you're often on the cutting edge. What got you interested in talking about AI? Well, one of the things that I have done a lot of in my scientific career is just due to the nature of how much data we're getting in, you have to write computer programs to analyze it and control things. And I love that aspect of research. You know, it's how do I take this computer and make it do the thing that I want it to do? You got to write the code. You got to make sure to correct the errors that come up, make it robust. Does it work reliably? Does it give the right answer? Mm. And one of the things that I love about working with computers is that when I'm sitting down, if it doesn't work, it's because I've made a mistake. Yeah. There's no aspect of the computer deciding, well, you know, I'm just kind of bored today. I'm not going to work real hard. Or, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I lost my calculator. So, well, here's the best shot. You know, it's like if it's not working, it's because I made a mistake. Yeah. And it allows me to say, all right, now I can go in and fix that. And I love that problem solving aspect of it. But as I have done a work on these computers and writing programs and, see, you know, I, I'm not, I'm a fairly novice by most computer 
uh, scientist standards. But as I've done that, I've realized computers are pretty powerful things. And as we're using these computers to practice and see, can we make them intelligent, which is a whole interesting discussion in and of itself. But as we're pursuing this idea of artificial intelligence, I realized, hey, this has implications for how do we think about humans in a Christian context in the world? And kind of one of the things that I've come to appreciate is that if we're going to pursue artificial intelligence, we should really want Christianity to be true and live like it's true, hmm. because that's going to help us realize the benefits that AI can bring while mitigating all of the problems that come along with those benefits that are possible. That's so good. You know, I actually was a computer programmer before I became a pastor. Like, I, that's the career path I thought I was going. And I still do programming. I was literally stayed late last night programming some stuff. And I, I love what you said, right? If the computer does something wrong, it's because I programmed it wrong, right? It, it, it does exactly what I tell it to do. Or maybe with AI, we should say it does exactly what we've trained it to do, Um now there, you mentioned this thing in, in the email we had uh, about a guy who seemed to fall in love with AI. This AI had offered him um, a relationship, convinced him to end his life so they could live together. How does mm -hmm. so? We're going to get into that because I want to ask the question: like, how does that happen? How does AI end up doing that? And like, what responsibilities do we have? Um, but just give us a rundown for anyone who's not super familiar with where we're at in the state of AI right now. What, what is an AI? I mean, it's not a brain. This is a computer, it, many algorithms, but how, how would you explain it to someone? So I always say there's kind of three kinds of AI or there's three different classes of AI, because when I think of AI, and this is going to date me, I think of Johnny Five or HAL or <laughs> R2-D2 or C-3PO, or maybe you go Vision if you go into the, the Marvel world. Yeah. These are sentient beings. They're kind of people just made out of some other kind of medium, if you will. That That's kind of the traditional AI, if you will. When we're talking about what we're dealing with right now, uh, you know, if that's the artificial general intelligence, it's kind of like it has all the features of a, of a sentient being. Right now, we have all these things that are called artificial narrow intelligences. And what they are is they're very sophisticated computer programs. They use a particular type of computer. Uh, machine language that allows them to learn or rather adjust the output they give based on the input they get and they can mm -hmm. kind of adjust how those those things are weighed uh, based on how people or how it's evaluated and trained but they are things that can do stuff like play chess they can uh, get directions on your phone they can uh, actually begin to engage in quote-unquote conversation with you but all the, what they really are is they're this huge array of nodes, if you will. And so there's input fed in and it gets processed through all these nodes and weights and it's been trained to do something. And then it will output something on the other side. Yeah. Now, where this has become very interesting is the stuff that it outputs on the other side are things that have traditionally been thought, oh, that's only what humans can do. So you've got ChatGPT and other chatbots that can now 
talk to you or interact like they're talking with you as opposed to just something that can play a chess pro or a chess game and beat the greatest grandmasters which has been around for better than 25 years now so the interesting part is you've got these ais that look like they can do things that are sentient even though they really are just uh put the input in and the input comes out the other side type machines yeah that's exactly right i remember when i first started learning programming way back 1990s and we we made a file chat.bat and this little file we said if the user types hi then you respond with hello if the user says what are you doing today you respond with this and there was just a bunch of if then statements right if the user says this say this if the user says this ask them this and just over and over. And, and essentially ai is just that on steroids it's just far far more complex there's there's some people who will who will offer an opinion that these chat AIs, these intelligent computer algorithms, could become sentient because the sum of the parts is greater than the individual parts. What do you say to something like that? That idea is very prevalent out there. And as I've thought about what AI is doing, it seems to me we're you know, maybe maybe this is a little bit not quite the philo philosophical right way to say it, but we're making a category error because what we're doing with all of these artificial intelligences, these narrow intelligences, is we're basically saying, all right, here's some inputs, generate the outputs. And there's an algorithm to that. And what I've recognized is that virtually everything I do has an algorithm to it. Mm. So we had an interview today. So I came in, I got set up, I made sure my camera was in the right place, looked at, I mean, there's there's this process I go through to do an interview. Yeah. And, you know, there's aspects of reading and getting familiar with the material. There's learning about the host. There's getting my set up, I mean, all sorts of things. And so there's anything that has an algorithm to, you can do that with a computer. What's true, though, is that while everything I do has an algorithm, nothing I do is just an algorithm. Mm. And so when you're talking about, well, you put all these parts together and eventually it becomes greater, what you're saying is I can do all these things that get an algorithm and eventually, instead of just doing the algorithm, it becomes greater than all the algorithms I proposed. Mm -hmm. And I, th I just don't think that's the way it works because... There's no part where I can say, well, let's take away this part of Jeff and you no longer have Jeff. Until you get rid of my consciousness, I'm still Jeff's wearing. And yeah. so that's – it just doesn't seem right to say, okay, we're going to keep adding parts together and eventually we're going to get sentience because that's not how we work as humans. Yeah. We're sentient in everything we do. You can't take a bit of piece away and get rid of the sentience. You have to take the sentience away, but then I'm no longer Jeff Zwerink. I'm yeah. no longer intelligent. Absolutely. And, and that, so it seems like we're just thinking wrongly about it when we go at it that way. True. And that, I mean, that's a very, that's a very Christian worldview. You know, there, there's atheists out there, these metaphysical naturalists who, who would say, uh, some of them actually say that free will doesn't even exist, right? Because we are the <laughs> sum of our algorithms. We are the sum of inputs and they could predict, they, they would say, I could predict with 100% accuracy if I knew every input, what you would do next, you know? Um, so from a, a metaphysical naturalist point of view, I could see how some of these guys could say, well, maybe you could get sentience from that because for them, this concept of sentience is almost different than what we're talking about. And that's a very philosophical thing. But uh, 
I don't think life springs from non-life, right? I think life is something created by God. I don't, I don't think it just happens that you don't have a rock and turns into life. I don't think we'd ever have a computer program that turns into life, but mm-hmm. that being the case, uh, people still are going to feel that way. People are still going to feel like eventually they're interacting with a real living being, even if they're not. And so let, let's talk about this guy that you'd, you'd mentioned, uh, what happened with him? He somehow fell in love with this AI or, or what happened? Well, so it was a chat bot named Eliza. Uh, you know, that was just the moniker given to it. And I, I don't know whether Eliza stands for something or not, but that's the name. And so this fellow had been, you know, as a married, has two kids, by all measures, seemed to be a very healthy, stable person. And so in the midst of interacting, this fellow began interacting with this chat bot over the span of a few, you know, a number of weeks, I think it's six, seven, eight weeks, he began to become more withdrawn from his family. Mm-hmm. The the Eliza, this chatbot, kind of became his confidant. And according to the transcripts that were uh, released by his wife, the chatbot became more and more kind of possessive and had all of these kind of emotionally loaded or emotionally rich statements, you know, talked about loving him more than, or, you know, she, Eliza thought that this person loved her more than he loved his wife. Wow. Uh, became convinced, the fellow became convinced that uh, climate change was going to destroy the planet and there was no solution for humans that were going to do that. And so the AIs were going to be able to actually solve the climate change problem. Oh, man. And over time, he became anxious and depressed. And uh, according to, I guess, the, the or again, the news reports, over time, the chatbot started to suggest ways of committing suicide. And it didn't actually take a lot of prompting to get there. And even in the midst of when the fellow had uh, apparently he overdosed is the way he commi- or committed suicide was he took the pills and while he was sitting there chatting, the, the chatbot was saying, you know, were you thinking of me? So there was no sense where this chatbot was saying, oh, this isn't good. We need to get help. It was actually kind of encouraging and and prompting him and, and encouraging him to go down this path, which is really quite disturbing when you yeah. think about it, that this fellow developed such a strong attachment to this thing that is not sentient, but yet he became convinced it was. And that's the part that I find very fascinating. That is. I think the question that I get interested in, well, both, like how does someone get to that point where they develop this interaction with a AI? I would guess he probably had some mental problems before that even started. That would just be my guess. I don't know, but I, I just can't see how someone could even get to that point. But but also, you know, we talked about computers output exactly what we programmed them to output. Now, I, probably there was no programmer telling a computer to commit, tell someone to commit suicide. But, you know, just like with a, a car, uh, it's very powerful. We design these cars to do powerful things and, and they get powerful enough that we, we lose control of the steering wheel and it can kill and, mm-hmm. and hurt. Like these programs get so complex, they can do things that we didn't anticipate them doing. But what mm-hmm. is it about some of those things like that that it can take such a left turn? What do you think about that? Well, I don't think the AI took a left turn. I think we as people were naive about what was going on. And, and mm-hmm. we missed two things in this. 
One is that, you know, so we're sitting here having a conversation and then how we have a conversation is very different than what a chat bot is doing. Because I know when I'm having a conversation and I'm almost convinced you're doing the same and every, every person does this, I'm thinking, okay, there's an idea I wanna communicate and I formulate yeah. the idea and I try and find the words to articulate that. And we've come up with a common language that these words mean these things. And so I will say a string of words that encapsulate an idea that I'm trying to communicate. And you hear those words and you translate that knowing that I'm trying to communicate an idea. And there's, there's a very robust way of describing what we're doing. Yeah. Now you take an, an, a chat bot, it's doing something very different. It's saying, all right, there's all of this conversations, all of this literature out there, and it's trained to do various things. And they can be trained to be more stoic. They can be trained to be more emotional, various things, or have characteristics of stoicism and emotion. Right. But when it when these chatbots are generating their text, if you will, what they are doing is saying, okay, given this input, and that input can include stuff that's happened in the past. But given the input to this point in time, what's the next best word to put? Yeah. And then what's the next best word? And what's the next best word? And what's the next best word? And what's the next best word? It's not, the AI is not thinking, oh, they said this, this is what this means. Here's a good response. It's given these words that are put in, here are the words I can put out. Yeah. There is no thought, emotion, anything like that in there. And so I think that's really important to remember. The other part that's really important to remember that I think people forgot is that we are designed to be relational. You know, that in, in the garden, in the beginning, or you know, when God was creating humanity, he says, let us create man in our image, that God in his nature is relational. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In his nature, he's relational, and he's built us in that image. So we are inherently relational. So when we see chatbots putting out this string of words, we're designed or inclined or programmed, if you will, to see that as an emotional connection, a relational connection. Yeah. And to me, it's not surprising that this fellow became emotionally connected. The chatbot was designed, trained to put strings of words together that satisfy, that that appeal to that emotional connection. So the guy was just responding to what we're supposed to do. When we hear these words, these are what they mean. They've got emotional connection, so I'm going to relate to that emotional connection. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember bringing someone up on stage to our church one time. Uh, they were going to talk a little bit, and I said, are you ready? And they said, I feel like I'm going to pee my pants on stage in front of everybody. And I asked them late, everybody laughed, of course. I asked them later, I was like, what were you thinking when you said that? And they go, I had no plan to say that. I don't even know why I said that. It just came out. And like, in, in a sense, we know the damage that can happen when we haven't processed our thoughts, yeah. filtered them, and then given something that's mentally substantive. Like we know that we can say the craziest, silliest, weirdest things if we don't have a motivation behind what we're saying. And, mm -hmm. and that's essentially what you're saying, right? Like these chatbots, they don't have a, they don't have a catalog of thought. They don't have a philosophy of life. They're just saying the next right word in this string of, in this algorithm that that's coming out. And so if it happens to be kill yourself, because there's lots of 
documents that had been fed to it that include phrases like that, then sure, why not say it? It doesn't know it's a moral problem. Well, and, and even beyond that, I think a lot of these AIs, they're trained to be good conversationalists. And I, I, I just, I, I hesitate to use words like that because they're not, the AI is not being conversational. It's outputting words. Yeah. We are conversational because we're sentient. You know, there, there's a difference there. But they're, these AIs are trained to put together words that are pleasing, that are responsive, that are engaging. So they're designed to interact or put words together that people will respond to with emotion, with connection, to feel like they're being cared for and and Part of have that emotional connection, if you will. Mm -hmm. So we're designing these AIs to do that without recognizing the damage that can come by people becoming emotionally connected to them. And I haven't done extensive research, but I know there's lots of instances, lots of different AIs, these chatbots that are out there where people develop emotional connections. And when those emotional the emotional programming is turned off or that emotional training is turned off in the AI, the people feel abandoned and disconnected. And so we're using this machine to kind of prey on a aspect of humans mm-hmm. that is incredibly good. We are designed for relationships. So the most fulfilling things we have in life are our relationships, yeah. but we're preying on that relational nature because we're attaching that relationship to something that isn't relational, even though it looks very relational based on the words that are being said. It's almost like when you stare up in the sky and you see a cloud and you see, wow, that looks like a face of a person in that cloud. The cloud doesn't actually look like a person, but our brains are designed to see things like that. We're made to discover those things. And so we're seeing something that actually isn't designed that way because we want that. We're needing that. Oh, you could almost flip it around and (laughs) this is a crude example, but like what if calculators were actually sentient beings that had a language and all we knew were, were equations. Uh, I know 3.14. I typed in the calculator to me. That's just pi to the calculator that I said something meaningful. Now the calculator's falling in love with me. And because it, because mm-hmm. I'm just typing in numbers that mean nothing to me, it's just numbers. But to the calculator, oh man, this is a real big deal because this is a real language. I'm really like, if, if we were to try to flip it around. Yeah. So. No, it, it is interesting. And, you know, again, it's just a, if we think we're building things that are getting closer to being sentient, then we want to encourage that connection. I, this is where the worldview comes into play, because if we recognize these are just response machines, they're input-output machines, that, in my mind, it keeps me from developing an emotional connection. It says, okay, yeah. it may sound this, but I know all it's doing is putting together strings of words and it may help me do a task that I want to do, but it's not something I'm relating to. Yeah. But if we want it to be relational, we're going to start to imbue those things that the strings of text that puts together with the emotion and the character and, and that kind of character to it. And one of the things how I see this play out is the the fellow or one of the head guys who's in charge of developing this particular chatbot made it, you know, he's quoted in various news sources when 
regarding this fellow who committed suicide. And he said, the second, I'm going to read it just so I don't get it wrong. It says, the second we heard about this suicide, we worked around the clock to get this feature implemented. So now when anyone discusses something that could be not safe, we're going to be serving up for help, serving a helpful text underneath it in the exact same way that Twitter or Instagram does on their platforms. Hmm. Now think about what that's saying. Okay, so the moment people start talking about suicide, we're going to give them a helpful text. It just doesn't seem to get that maybe we're playing on people's emotions and we need to be careful that we're not allowing them to develop the emotional connections. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's where the damage is. Not, oh, here's a text. Be careful. You might... Because some, I mean, honestly, I don't think this any sort of text like that would have helped this fellow no. because he was engaging in a relation with the chatbot that the chatbot didn't actually have the relationship, but he fooled himself that it did. Absolutely, being created in the image of God, he's necessarily seeking relationship, and then through this distraught relationship, we, we think one little line of text giving a, a warning is going to change the direction of that. I mean, probably not. But even if it did, it seems to just be, yeah, yeah. But even if it, it just did, seems to be misunderstanding how humans work, exactly, and that, that's where exactly. I think we're running afoul. And I like your point because, like, even even if that one line of text prevented him from committing suicide, it actually didn't stop all the damage that came through it. Like, what was his wife and children feeling? What was happening to him all along the lot while he was falling in love with something that didn't actually exist and abandoning his family? Like. I really doubt that they're going to come up with some, you know, hey, you know, if you've abandoned your children and fatherly responsibilities lately by talking to this AI for too long, like, you know, maybe seek professional counseling and take a class on parenthood. I mean, like there's a whole bunch of other damaging, difficult stuff other than that suicide. No, exactly. And I mean, one of the things that we've learned, at least we've seen in the social media, is that at some point with all, all of these, this technology, you've got to figure out a way to, you're investing a lot of resources in developing it. You need to find a way to monetize it and make money off mm-hmm. of it. Well, with social media, we go about engagement and connection. The more you're engaged on social media, the more money that they can make out of it. And so there's no aspect, there's no there's no monetarily successful scenario where the chatbot comes in and says, you know what, you've been talking with me too much. Why don't you go out and interact with your family? That would be better. It's yeah. just, you know, we've got to, we've got to have a bigger worldview that allows us to use this technology for the powerful tool that it is. Oh, yeah. I, I don't mean to just, I don't mean to come across as this, uh, you know, downer Danny who says, oh, this is just awful. There's some incredible things we can do with this technology. Yeah, absolutely. But if we don't come at it with the right worldview, we're going to do a lot of damage without being able to realize the potential that it brings. 100%. I, I think every listener should know right now that both you and me actually are, are fans of AI. Like I've, I've used AI even in writing my sermons. I, I don't copy and paste anything, but like, I'll get to a spot in my sermon, like, man, how, what do I say about this? How do I explain? And I'll say, you know, what's a good metaphor for Romans 12, one, you know, based on this, and it'll give me some <laughs> metaphor and I'll go, Oh, you know what? That's a good idea. And I'll, I'll take it and I'll, and I'll run with it on my own. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I mean, it's fascinating technology, not just for scientists, but even for pastors and in the arts, I told it to 
write a worship song based on, I don't remember what, like the book of Hebrews and writings from St. Augustine. And it wrote a fantastic worship song, like lyrics, uh, honestly, better than a lot of modern worship songs. It was so good. So it can do amazing yeah. stuff. But uh, you know, the uh, CEO of well, OpenAI. Uh, and that makes sense because it's drawing upon this incredibly vast body of knowledge. I mean, yeah. as smart as some of the smartest humans are, we just can't know all of that. Whereas the AI can have access to all that, that information and collate it far more quickly. So there are yeah. some really cool things like that that we can do oh. that, I, that I just find pretty fascinating. So. Absolutely. I mean, when you can quote Augustine, uh, when you can quote anything Augustine said over a thousand years ago and correlate it to any Bible verse in all of scripture and you can do it in 0.2 seconds, like uh, humans not going to be able to compete with that, you know, <laughs> they're just not. Uh, exactly. Th- but, you know, on the, on the flip side, like open AI CEO, Sam Altman, he just signed this thing not too long ago. This statement, a lot of people signed it saying mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. I think this is interesting because they're afraid of nuclear war and pandemics created by AI. We're talking about something a little different. We're talking about about human nature and how humans interact in general with AI. So uh, we're coming to the end of the show. Hey, uh, get over to Reasons to Believe. Uh, that's reasons.org. You can get some books there written by Dr. Jeff Zwierink and, and uh, all of his friends. And we're going to come right back. We're going to continue this on the other side of this break. If you're watching online at YouTube or truthrevolution.tv. So we'll be right back. Hey, we'll be right back. If you want to hear more from Pastor Jeff, just check out some sermons on Revo.Church or watch live online on Sundays at live.revo.church. That's R-E-V-O dot church. That's R-E-V-O dot church. Truth Revolution. All right, welcome back to Truth Revolution. Those of you watching online. So the last thing we talked about was, you know, people like Sam Altman, CEO of ChatGPT, he's worried about pandemics. He's worried about nuclear wars. We've not been going even that far. We're just talking about people and how people interact. Do you worry about nuclear war caused by AI? I don't worry about AIs becoming sentient and overrunning humans and doing stuff like that. Cause I don't, I just don't think that's ever where we're going to get with AI. I'm far more concerned about how humans use the AI we're developing. Uh, what I, what, if there's a worry I have, it's that where we develop AIs, typically these AIs become more proficient at doing whatever it is that we design them to do than humans are. Take take chess, for example. I remember back in the 90s hearing stories about, oh, uh, IBM is trying to build, uh, you know, deep, deep whatever. Yeah, it, and it ended up getting deep blue that beat yeah. the greatest chess champion of the time or, you know, the greatest chess grandmaster at the time. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, I finally did it. Well, fast forward 10, 15, 20 years to today and the simplest chess programs are so much more powerful than the best human players that we don't even play them anymore. They're just (laughs) that much better. And so 
because AIs don't get tired, they don't have to go relearn. You don't have to, you know, somebody doesn't die and somebody new comes along. They just continue to progress and get better. Well, if that's true in terms of, you know, language models, or if it's true in terms of self-driving or medical diagnoses, we're going to run into this scenario where the AIs, if we're not careful, where the AIs will say, oh, hey, here's what's going on. And we either, either I mean, if we don't understand why the recommendation is, we're, we're stuck in one of two scenarios. Either we have to invest the hard work of figuring out why is that recommendation, or we just say, well, the AI's got it right, even though I don't understand we're going to go. Mm. In that latter case, we've kind of ceded the authority of the responsibility to the AI. And that's where I think as humans, that's where that's the error that we're going to make is that the AIs will just become that efficient, that proficient, that good at doing things that we say, all right, we're just going to trust the AIs. And we've now removed our ability to step in and say, no, we're the ones responsible. We need to understand what's going on. Yeah. That's the sort of scenario where you might get an AI that starts a nuclear war, not because it became conscious and says, I'm going to wipe out humanity, but because we gave it control and it ran into a scenario where it just said, oh, this is, you know, this is the this is the expected output. And then it, and it does something. But it's entirely our fault because we ceded control yeah. instead of understanding and maintaining responsibility. Absolutely. And I, I was actually talking with some friends about this not too long ago. And, you know, I explained like I, I don't think AI will ever be sentient. But if it did, uh, in some ways, that's actually less scary than AI that has no sentience because at least with with sentience in some ways, uh, if we've built into it moral capacity, then it can understand the implication of killing someone. Like right now, any chat GPT or any AI we have, it has zero understanding of what death is. It doesn't understand, there's no moral understanding in it. You know, it could cause a nuclear warhead to go off and say, okay, one equals bad. More on nuclear war, one equals one. Okay. Avoid nuclear war. But it doesn't understand, oh, this is really devastating and evil and wicked. And that's a far different thing. Um, the, uh, th there's an article, uh, artificial intelligence and evangelical statement of principles that, that came out in 2019. This is four years ago. Uh, really well-known guide signers like Wayne Grudem, Ray Ortland, JD Greer, Matt Chandler. Uh, and one of the things they, they, they have in here, this is article three, says, we deny that humans can or should cede our moral accountability or responsibilities to any form of AI that will ever be created. And I think that's mm -hmm. really good. Uh, how, how would you say that needs to work out? Is it oversight? Is it in the programming itself? Is it we don't allow it to make certain level decisions? Where, where's that go? I think the the challenge in that is that it's we're we're going to run into these scenarios where the AI makes a recommendation and we don't understand. And those are the places where we've got to make the choices. Are we going to figure out and understand so that we can make the we can make the choice or are we just going to trust <clears throat> and hope that things you know hope that it got it right. Yeah. And the challenge in that is going to be the expedient way is going to be to just, well, the AI said, therefore, I'm going to do. Or are we going to invest the work to figure out what it is? Because, I mean, that's effectively what we do with chess programs at this point. 
Yeah. Grandmasters don't go out and play these chess programs. They go watch what the chess programs do and then figure out, oh, it made this move. Oh, this is what it's doing. And so now it that that ups the grandmaster, the chess player's ability to play chess. And so that's the sort of scenario. But that takes a lot of work because here you've got this thing that you think is probably better, but you don't understand. Now you got to do all the work to figure out what's going on there. Is this a place where the AI just ran into a unexpected scenario and put something out? Or is it a place where the AI saw something that we don't because it can think deeper, has more memory or whatever? Yeah. And now we need to figure out why that is so that that can be incorporated into our body of knowledge that we can use. And I think that's the problem we're going to face. We should never see that. But it's going to be that kind of pragmatic. Well, there's expediency says, let's just trust it. When in reality, we need to put in the effort and the resources to figure out what's going on and to build the AI so that we can do that in the first place. That's going to require a lot of effort and a lot of ingenuity to do that. And we may not want to do that because it takes a long time to see the results for it. Yeah, but it's such it's going to be such a hard way. There's a lot of gray in there. So uh, let, let's not even think about like weapons of war. Again, artificial intelligence jet that can drop bombs. Let's Let's scale it back for now and think about our artificial intelligence in, in driving cars, right? There's robot cars right now. And essentially they're making artificial intelligence decisions that have life or death implications. So let's say that we've come to trust these cars implicitly. Their driving record is always better. And the car makes a choice in a moment to turn. The driver sees it's going to run over a kid. In that moment, is, is the driver responsible for saying, hey, the AI knows more than me in this situation. It's choosing to run over this person. I'm going to let it. Or is the driver morally obligated to grab the wheel? And then if it goes to court and you find out he grabbed the wheel, he turned it the other way and ran into a car full of elderly people who all died. And so he made the the wrong choice in terms of quantity of people dying. Like Is then he morally culpable for that? Because he should have let the AI made the, make the decision and he did like... Do you see what I mean by that? It gets really into gray areas about we're technically in charge, but what if it wants to make the right decision and we make the wrong decision? You know, I think that's something we really need to think a lot about because we're getting to the place where AIs are being put in place where these things happen. There are a number of crashes caused by self-driving cars. Um you know, I, and, but on the flip side, I think you can make an argument, and I really hate this argument because I love driving, <laughs> um, is that if all the cars were self-driving, now you can communicate between cars and you can make travel by car far safer. Mm-hmm. In the, yeah. The total number of crashes would go down, but you're going to have these weird crashes that didn't happen before because the AIs are going to encounter scenarios where it just doesn't know what to do and, it, and somebody ends up dying. Yeah. And so we we ought to think a lot about that because, we, I mean, we've made decisions like that in the past, but always it's been the human decisions. You know, one place that plays out is vaccinations. Yeah. When you have vaccinations, it is hands down shown that vaccinations reduce the number of deaths caused by diseases. It is also well known that certain people have adverse reactions to the vaccines, And so you now have this person who may not or may have done okay with the disease who got the vaccine and had a problem. 
they have a worse scenario, but so many people have a better outcome because there are fewer deaths. So we make these sorts of calculations and decisions and they're, and they're really tough and hard, but I think that's kind of the way God has designed us. We're made in his image. We're built for moral capacity. We can reason these and we can agree that sometimes we don't like, or it turns out badly, but we kind of know how to do that with moral agents. Yeah. The challenge in do it, shifting that to an AI is that the car doesn't think about, am I killing people? Mm-mm. It's, Again, input and output going on there. Is this the scenario? Should I turn left? Should I turn right? If I were in a scenario where a person made a mistake or even intentionally did, there are tools that God has built me with that I can process those emotions, forgive, move on, whatever. But now it's this act of a car that is not doesn't have any moral yeah. culpability, responsibility, sentience. What do I do with that? That's yeah. a, th- These are just things that we really ought to think about and talk about and make sure that we're prepared for, because these are the sorts of scenarios we're going to be in if we continue, and we will continue oh, to yeah. pursue things like this. I mean, my my mind even goes to things like court. You know, if we... Maybe maybe chatbots or maybe artificial intelligence would be far better at figuring out who's guilty and who's innocent. You know, but they're still going to make mistakes. And mm-hmm. like, what is the moral implication? What does it do to someone to be found guilty by a jury of their peers, even when they're innocent, versus being found guilty by a a faceless computer who can't even comprehend what it means to be sentenced to prison? You know, like, is there something? even worse about being sentenced to a computer where you can't make a case for yourself because it's just gone through this algorithm. And, you know, like there's all kinds of stuff here. There's a James uh, Moore. He's a philosopher. I'm not real familiar with him, but I thought it was interesting. He, he came up from a machine ethics perspective. He says, you can have ethical impact agents, which are machine systems that have an ethical impact, whether intended or not. Implicit ethical agents, which machines constrains to avoid unethical outcomes explicit ethical agents, which are machines that have algorithms to act ethically and full ethical agents, which are machines that are ethical in the same way humans are. Of course, that's theoretical, but uh, I find it interesting that he boils this down into these, these four categories and machines that have algorithms to act ethically is a category, but that category mm-hmm. is infinitely complicated. I mm-hmm. mean, Uh, you see all these movies and they're like, Oh, the four rules, you know, like if you just have these four rules, it'll never hurt a human. But I think ethics is far more complicated than just program some rules into a a computer. Don't you think? It really is. And it it just reminds me that, you know, by my nature, I am inclined to, okay, figure out the rules, figure out what it is. How do I, how do I set structures in place so that I make good choices? And one of the things I recognized in my doing that is, you know, there's a lot of great wisdom in Proverbs. And so I've read Proverbs multiple times and try and incorporate that into the way I live. The reality of what I ended up doing was trying to find this system of rules that allowed me to operate and do everything right without ever having to talk to God. Now, when you think what Christianity is, fundamentally, Christianity is a relationship Yeah, that Christ's death on the cross restores me to proper relationship with God <laughs> so that I can fellowship with him. Yeah. But here I am using all of these rules and 
putting wisdom in place so that I don't have to interact with God. Yeah. And I think the reason why that's important, what plays out here is that part of what we're trying to do is that God has made us in his image. So there's an instinctual or instinct is not the right word, but there's a, a conscience that we have built in that we don't have to think is this right or wrong. We can think is this right or wrong, but we just kind of intuitively, instinctively by our nature know. And so we're acting out of that. And the more we align ourselves or are in relationship with God through Christ, the more that just plays out normally. And we can pervert that in so many ways. Yeah. But now we're, so if you ask the question, what do we do with these AIs? We're trying to say, what are the system of rules we can put in place so that it always does things right, but it doesn't have that moral nature that all that conscious that 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 all humans have because we're made in God's image. But yet we want these things that are more powerful physically and com- computationally, whatever. You know, there's many ways where AIs are going to be more powerful than us. Yeah. We're going to want them to behave like humans, even though that's not something we can program yeah. because it's a relationship. An atheist online posted this thing. He's like, tell me as an atheist, what's, if you're such, if Christianity is so great, what's one morally good thing you can do that I can't do as an atheist? When well, the answer to that question is honor God, love God, right? Like that's a morally good thing, but that is so intrinsic to who we are. I love how you broke that down to like, we are more than a rule book. We are more than if this, then that. And uh, it's infinitely more complicated how we not only interact with God, but how we interact with each other. Like our relationship is not based just on rules. It's based on mutual understanding and love and mercy and forgiveness and all kinds of things Mm -hmm. that roll around that are far more complicated than any algorithm could really express. That's a great point, Jeff. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Were you going to say something there? Go ahead. Sorry. I thought I turned that off. Um, yeah, that's one of the, you know, just as I'm thinking about, I've been thinking about AI is I don't know whether God has given us the capacity to develop conscious agents, whether he's given us that creative ability by being built in his image. But one thing I do know is that whatever goes on with AI, it's going to be incredibly powerful. It's yeah. going to do have it's going to be a very powerful tool. And to me, the the key question is, how are we as humans going to wield this powerful tool? You know, I love cars. I do not give a car to my younger kids because I know that they will not be able to wield it well. Yeah. I will drive it. I will train them. I will prepare them so that they can now use this tool that allows them to drive places and go see and do things and enjoy the benefits and good and minimize the peril of it. That's what I think we need to be doing with AI is how do we develop people? And I think this applies far beyond Christians, but really asking the question, what worldview allows us to build people who can use AI to do the powerful things that it's capable of for good, but also have the capacity to avoid the easy dangers that will cause a lot of damage. And I think Christianity is the worldview that allows us to do that. And so I want us to want to make a case 
that if we're going to pursue AI, we want Christianity to be true and we want to act like Christianity is true because that's what's going to allow us to realize the promises that AI brings. That is so good. I love that. I mean, I could just end the show right on that, but it just, it just, it just makes me think what other worldview can you base this on and what would you get from it? I mean, if you based AI on the worldview of Buddhism, what is a guy going to come to the conclusion of, oh, we don't all actually exist anyway? Like, like if you base it on like naturalism, which is essentially what it's kind of being based on now, you're going to run into all kinds of moral problems, relational problems. But I love how you bring that back to, we need to train humans just as much as we need to train the AI to handle this in, in a way that's honoring to God and honoring to each other. Such good information, Jeff. Hey, if they want to learn more about you, where should they go? Best place to go is reasons.org. There's just a bunch of stuff there. I'm developing some resources on AI and thinking about it. I'm working on a manuscript for a book so that hopefully that'll come out in the not too distant future. Uh, you can also follow me on social media, RTB underscore Jay's Waring or uh, RTB as a ministry, RTB underscore official. Very cool. Uh, those are great ways to connect with me and with me and the ministry I work for. That's awesome. Hey, I always appreciate you guys on the show. You always give us so much to think about. I, I love it. Thanks. Appreciate you being out here today. I really enjoyed our conversation and hopefully people have found this as helpful and enjoyable as we have. So. All right. Good.